Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Desert Tiger podcast. Today we're talking to independent wrestler and owner and operator of Canadian Wrestling Elite, Danny Duggan. We talked to Danny today about CWE's first match on January 23rd, 2009, which featured Mentallo and the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. We talked to him about how the company has grown since then, and we talked to him about his recent Nightmare on Elite Street tour with the mad Russian Nikita Koloff. But before we got to the interview, we have to get to our song of the day, which we have on every single podcast, and you can enter the song of the day by emailing desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com with a description of your band and a link to your song. Once again, that is desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com. Today's song of the day is brought to us by the Ratchet Dolls and is called Caught in the Light. The Ratchet Dolls is a hard rock band from the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. They are an adrenaline-filled up-and-coming act that is open for the likes of Linkin Park, Slayer, Godsmack, Hailstorm, and Tesla, just to name a few. Their debut album, Damaged, is available now at RatchetDolls.com and all your favorite online retailers and streaming services. You can follow Ratchet Dolls on social media at Facebook.com, Ratchet Dolls Official, at Ratchet Dolls on Twitter, or at Ratchet Dolls Official on Instagram. So without any further ado, let's get to Caught in the Light.
Well, that song rips pretty hard. Has a lot of thrash and hair metal influence from the 80s for sure. Once again, that was the Ratchet Dolls with Caught in the Light. If you want to be or apply for our song of the day, you can send a description of your band and a link to your song to desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com. Without wasting any further time, we're going to get into our interview with CWE's Danny Duggan. All right, and welcome to the Desert Tiger Podcast, Danny Duggan, um, also the owner and operator of Canadian Wrestling Elite. Um, please introduce yourself to the crowd. Say hello. Hello. All right. Um, <laughs> CWE's first match was in January 23rd, 2009, and featured Mentalo and the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, now known as SmackDown Live General Manager, Daniel Bryan. What led to that night? That was a culmination of, of some young, hungry guys here in the Winnipeg market looking to do something different, looking for some change in their scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I had been wrestling for uh, six years as an independent wrestler here in Winnipeg and across uh, North America. And during my travels, I had seen a lot of different things being done in different places that weren't being implemented here in Winnipeg mm-hmm. that I thought could be very useful and very impactful here. So okay. I kind of put my money where my mouth was, so to speak, after working with some different organizations where I was either working as a booker, as they call it, writing the matches and stories for different companies, mm-hmm. um, and just for other companies that I was eager to see succeed um, that just weren't as eager as I was to see them succeed. So, so you're uh, a little more hungry than they were. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of places I was wrestling where I, I wanted to be wrestling in front of more people i wanted bigger crowds i wanted bigger shows mm-hmm. you know to the point where i'd be like get me those posters i will go and put them up but if the promoter himself wouldn't be bothered to, to print off posters there's only so much you can do for said promoter as a talent um so i was just very driven and hungry to to see something succeed here in winnipeg and uh you know in the wrestling world we're geographically in the middle of nowhere in terms of the the big scale world of professional wrestling so i, mm-hmm. I realized you know if we want to make a splash here we're gonna have to think outside the box so myself and some other guys who were very hungry at the time to get out and do something different kind of came together. We pitched the idea, we put it together, and we, we hit the ground, and we've been running ever since. That's awesome. So how has the company grown since that day? Well, that was January 23rd, 2009. We're coming up on you know 2018 right away, so nine years. And in that nine years, we went from running... That show, and initially, you know, the show's following that one show a month here mm-hmm. in the city of Winnipeg for about a year to us now touring five provinces across Canada. Um, our tours are now 21 events uh, in 21 days, and they're only getting bigger as we continue to move forward. Um, we're on television on multiple stations in Canada. Um, we've got a really strong web presence. Um, we've had just dozens and dozens of former Dota B stars and guys who go on to be future Dota B stars on our, our, our events. So we've covered a lot of ground in that nine years, and we're really excited because it just seems to be like the tip of the iceberg. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger by the day. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, what are the five provinces that you guys cover? Well, we just debuted in British Columbia on this last tour, and that was the fifth province, of course, here in Manitoba, where we're based. Uh, we do northwestern Ontario, Thunder Bay, Sault Ste. Marie. We're going a little bit further east this time uh, mm-hmm. with Blind River, and then soon the Toronto area, hopefully by the end of 2018. Uh, we've got a very strong presence in Saskatchewan. We operate more events there in, in that province than we do any other right now, oddly enough. Huh. And uh, Alberta. Alberta's a stronghold for us as well now. We've built up a really good following in Edmonton, Calgary, and Medicine Hat. It's kind of odd that Saskatchewan would be at the top with its slower population, but it's uh, got a lot of heart for people who work hard and 
yeah. like showmanship. So. Well, well, the cool thing about Saskatchewan, in, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's less populated than the other provinces. Mm-hmm. But there's more cities. There's sm- there's more smaller cities with a lot of people in them than say Manitoba, which has the majority of its people in Winnipeg, and then you've got a large sum of them in Brandon, and then there's a lot of really really small towns. Where mm-hmm. Saskatchewan's got a lot of decent sized cities that have five thousand, ten thousand plus people in them. So there's more markets to to draw larger crowds from, and with them being so spread out and being so far from the major Canadian markets, it's a destination place. When CWE comes to town, if you want to see wrestling, you're going to go see CWE when you're in Moosamin or in Melfort, Saskatchewan, because if you want to see wrestling, you got to go for a good drive if you want to see it anywhere else. Well, that's it, is even High Impact itself doesn't seem to do much shows outside of Saskatoon or Regina. That's right. So we like to, to pride ourselves on bringing the entertainment directly to the people in these small markets, and that's been the secret to our success. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Um, the company you mentioned has a very strong online presence. I noticed that you guys still have a use for promos and kayfabe in your internet presence. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, in this day and age, you need to be really firing on all cylinders. Like when we first started promoting in 2009, you know, the internet was just kind of taking off as a as a big you know, tool for, for advertising and promoting in, mm-hmm. in the, the marketing world, but nowhere to where the to where it's at now. Um, you know, so on top of your traditional grassroots marketing of going out there and, and postering and flyering and, and pounding the pavement, you know, social media and the internet's a completely other beast now that you can you can rely on and utilize to attract people. You know, you're mm-hmm. gonna find very few people that are not connected to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or mm-hmm. any of these other social media formats. So you really need to be on the top of your game and be firing on all those cylinders to reach the, the most people possible. And the best part about a lot of that social market or social media marketing is uh, yes, there is paid advertising, which we do, but so mm-hmm. much of it's free. It's just developing that brand and developing that following. And once you have those people tied in and mm-hmm. in a part of your groups and following your pages, it's a direct advertisement directly to these people to keep them in, in touch with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Once you have the people to share your pages, because I know Facebook likes to limit the uh, amount of people that you're allowed to actually reach, is, right? That's kind of makes things difficult, I'm sure. Well, as, as, as a person with a personal profile, yes, it, it caps you at 5,000 you know, friends, but now they have that feature where people can follow you, so it's almost exactly the same. I think between friends and people following me on my direct page, I have nearly 12,000 people that are linked in directly to what I'm doing as a performer, but then you look at the CWE page, like the CWE group is now at over 8,000 people. Our like page is at almost 5,000, and it continuously grows by the day. Every time we do a tour, just hundreds and hundreds of people come on board, and they, they jump on board, and it, that's the really cool thing about the social media marketing is once they're tied in, unless they decide to leave, they're tied in. We've got them. We now have a direct link to send them what we're selling, so if they're interested in professional wrestling, they have a lifeline to us, so... You know, when we first started in 2009, if if we want to talk about the differences back then, like you literally had to go and put a flyer in the mailbox every single time, which we still do. But it was mm-hmm. more important then because you didn't have that same connection to people through social media where they were tied in the way they are now. Mm-hmm. So you had to be constantly reminding people, this is when the next date is, this is when the next show is, this is who's coming. Where now if people are generally and sincerely interested in something, they can be tied into it and they can stay up to date with it fairly easy without having to go out of their way to do it. Mm-hmm. Facebook will send them a reminder in the morning and an hour before the event too. That's I right. Know, I know that I'm one of the people that got drawn into the company through social media and ended up seeing my first uh, amateur like 
I guess, what would it say, indie wrestling show was with you guys back in Regina, back in February of last year, I believe. Yeah, and that's how a lot of people are finding us now, and it's crazy, like, because as a small company, we have to be very careful where we put our advertising dollars, you know, because every penny counts at this level, and we've had so many internal debates about that, because social media marketing is so much more cost-effective than the traditional means of advertising, so it's getting to Mm -hmm. a point where it's like, you know, we know so many people are, are finding us through social media. You cut out or limit your traditional forms of media, whether it be the radio or the newspaper, because sometimes it's tough to justify dropping that big radio campaign when mm-hmm. you know a vast part of your audience is finding you through social media or being tied in through your social media. So it's really changing the game on how you reach people and how you get people invested in your product. It definitely is, and it makes things a lot easier. I know that we're starting to try and get into the social media platforms ourselves and using those. Uh, You brought up the range of headliners that the company has used over the year. I have a list of a few of them. Alright, let's hear it. Alright, we have uh, Seth Rollins before he went to WWE, Cesaro, Emma, Daniel Bryan, Rhino, Shelton Benjamin, Arya Davari, Roderick Strong, Cassius Ono, Leo Rush, Nigel McGuinness, all of who are with WWE right now, which is amazing. Um... You got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Arn Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. You got Bobby the Brain Heenan, rest in peace, of course. Um, so you've got some Hall of Famers. You got Lita. You got the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase in your history. Tito Santana. I mean, I, the list goes on and on. I mean, you got Kenny Omega, Chad Owens, Cole Cabana. I mean, what's it like to work with such a high level of talent? It's incredible, and it really has brought the company to the level it's at today when we first started running the company we were were basing it on you know the top ring of honor stars at the time the guys that were the hot wrestlers mm-hmm. you know the guys that were getting it done in the ring and and that's where we had you know Daniel Bryan and Nigel McGuinness and and Seth Rollins and Austin Aries and, and guys like that that were coming in and and we were trying to build a brand and we had a limited budget to do it so we weren't you know we weren't capable of bringing in the major stars for the major dollars just yet so we needed to rely on guys with an underground following that could show up and deliver in the ring and that's exactly what those guys did a lot of those names people weren't quite familiar with in the Winnipeg market because mm-hmm. Winnipeg isn't really a independent wrestling type of market or at least wasn't then so they weren't familiar with a lot of these names but they took a chance on wrestling and then they would come and see these incredible 20-30 minute main events these guys were having and just mm-hmm. blowing people away and that's how we built the base of our brand and then once we started touring and getting out there on the road and approaching sponsors and trying to grow the brand, that's when we started to lean on some of the bigger star power. So that's how you started getting some of those WWE legends and Hall of Famers coming in because it okay. instantly lent credibility to us as we started going into these markets and approaching people and trying to sell them the idea of professional wrestling coming to their town. So it's it's been really cool from a business standpoint. And then from a wrestling standpoint, once again, we're in the middle of nowhere geographically. These guys don't live just down the street, so it's hard to pick their brain and, and learn from them uh, the way you know a wrestler, say, in Chicago could or a Chicago who lives in New York could. Um, so by bringing them here and bringing them on the road, it gave our talent the opportunity to work hand-in-hand with some of the best minds in the business, which instantly brought them up to another level and then ultimately improved the, the product as a whole because they were getting the opportunity to learn from these guys and apply it with their knowledge and with their feedback night after night. Is that the same idea you have with the international talent that you guys tend to bring in very quite often? Oh, 100%. You know, all those all those guys that you see on that list coming in uh, is for that reason. You know, it's, you know, A, to present the fans with something unique and different and draw an audience 
But secondly, that's a big part of our priority is bringing in guys mm-hmm. that are going to mold our talent and get them better, and then and then also make connections for our talent. You know, mm-hmm. it's you know we're bringing wrestlers in from you know Japan and from across North America. It's now giving wrestlers here in Canada who are otherwise kind of locked away in the closet up here the opportunity to network and and connect with somebody from a different area, and then hopefully get them out and get them into mm-hmm. a new area, which has happened for quite a few of the guys. Well, that's good. Is that sort of like how Chad Owens and Kenny Omega kind of got? their starts out there then type thing or uh, Kenny got he, he he's kind of his own success story <laughs> he, he kind of started touring with us when he was already kind of on the upswing uh, Chase Owens he came to us um, as the NWA junior heavyweight champion in the summer of 2014 he quite hadn't got his break yet but he was making some noise in the US mm-hmm. and he started touring with us full time and then he got an opportunity in Japan and he, he took it and he hasn't uh, looked back and now he's you know a major player out there and he's only getting bigger uh, you know by the day so he's been you know and he's one of the best in ring performers in the business today he definitely does not get enough credit for for how talented he is but just another example of a guy that comes here and wrestles with our talent and has brought them to another level and brought the brand to another level well that's it is him being able to get experience with some of the top talents in the world and be able to bring that knowledge back to you has got to be like very valuable super valuable you know and and i think you know doing these tours up here also helped him uh, in the same token as he hadn't done a lot of touring yet you know for at that point in his career when he started going out there so for him to be able to come to canada and be wrestling top stars every single night on tour prepared him for going to japan and the physicality that comes with wrestling there against top stars on a nightly basis so it's a good trade-off for everybody he comes in and he gets to become a better professional and we get the opportunity to improve our guys at the same time well it's a pretty good deal right there i'd say um, you guys usually do a 50-man Royal Rumble every year. What's that like, booking it and putting it on? That's the 50-man Rumble to remember. That's uh, that's an annual event that's uh, taken on a life of its own, and it's kind of a it's kind of a nostalgia event to a certain degree, but uh, you know, definitely mixed with with today's concept in mind. And it's kind of a, a tribute to the past. It features top stars, you know, from Manitoba wrestling from the past 20. You know, 30, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, sometimes even 50 years ago, mm-hmm. that come back for a night of glory. Winnipeg and, and Manitoba's got such a strong wrestling history, and there's so many incredible wrestlers that are remembered from this time that did some really you know special things, You know, not only just here in Winnipeg, but across the country and internationally. So mm-hmm. it's a night to kind of bring those guys back for, for one night, give the opportunity for fans to see them that you know grew up watching them or you know new fans who hadn't got a chance to see them yet, mm-hmm. and then we blend them with the new guys and the current guys, and it's, uh, it's personally my favorite event of the year, because it's kind of like a high school school reunion, getting to see all these guys you broke in with and rode the roads with that aren't necessarily around anymore. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a really cool concept. Um, you know, booking it's a whole you know whole novel itself just because you're dealing with so many different personalities from so many different eras, and yeah, you know sure. you're dealing with some guys who are physically no longer capable, but they're still there, <laughs> and, and their their spirit is still good, and and it's a, it's a lot of fun, and it's usually our most well attended event of the year here in Winnipeg, and, and rightfully so, it's a very unique attraction. Well, it's good to hear that you can get out some of the older bodies and get them to take a couple of bumps during the evening and get them still involved in the scene for sure. Uh, well, Winnipeg's always sort of been a wellspring of talent for wrestling itself. Um, you guys have had a lot of people come in or start here who have become quite big. I mean, Chris Jericho being one name, of course, but Winnipeg's always had a lot of people. Yeah, Winnipeg, uh, you know, has some hidden gems. Like Roddy Piper is from Saskatoon originally, but he mm-hmm. grew up in Winnipeg and he got a start here. He trained in Winnipeg, 
of course, Chris Jericho, uh, Don Callis, who mm-hmm. was Cyrus in ECW, Kenny Omega, who's arguably the best wrestler in the world right now, is from here in Winnipeg. I would argue that. For yeah. Sure. So there's there's a lot of talent, and and that's the thing. Like there's so many others that just you know that we didn't mention that that mm-hmm. could have been one of those guys if you know they just got the right opportunity or seen by the right person. Yeah, for sure. Winnipeg's always had a really good. Uh, fountain of talent, and it still continues to produce great talent. So, you know, geographically, we've always had you know a, a you know a roadblock ahead of us, just because we're so far away from a lot of the major wrestling centers. But those that have been able to get out there and break the mold have done really well for themselves. I think the uh, recent string of wrestlers that have broken out soon will uh, bring a new wave of Winnipeg wrestling fans and people who want to wrestle as well. I'm sure. Yeah, 100%. I would say in the last year or two, the inquiries about our wrestling school, for example, have probably multiplied by 20 from what they were five years ago. It's it's a cool... Wrestling's a cool thing again. It's a hip thing again. People want to be involved in it, so people are constantly asking and inquiring about how to get involved when for a little while it was kind of on the downswing and a little hush-hush, but people mm-hmm. are excited about wrestling again, and you can tell that people are generally enthusiastic about wrestling again. Well, that's it. It's around 2006. Everybody sort of started to take a turn away from wrestling when the head injuries thing came up, but now it's now that everybody's starting to take preventative measures against drugs and a lot of headshots, it seems that people are starting to come back a lot more. I, I wouldn't even finger point that as the reason people turned away from wrestling I think it just became it, it became something that wasn't intriguing to the general public anymore it became stale wrestling went in a direction that didn't necessarily compel the general audience and I think with once again it kind of goes back to the change of you know social media and technology wrestling is more accessible than it's ever been before so if you don't like a certain brand of wrestling there's so much more directly at your fingertips. So if you don't like WWE or you don't like TNA or you don't like Ring of Honor or whatever it is that you have access to, you can very easily hop online and find a million other products that might, you know, tickle your fancy, so to speak, and, and intrigue you. So now you've got wrestling fans, you know, f- you know, generally speaking, you know, if you're a Central Canadian wrestling fan, you knew of what was on television, and that's it. And now you can find wrestling fans in the smallest pockets of the prairies that are familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling and mm-hmm. Ring of Honor and Pro Wrestling Guerrilla and and all these you know you know taboo cult indies that before were completely unheard of unless you were a part of a very niche audience. So the internet and social media has really opened it up where wrestling fans can find the wrestling they enjoy. They're not having to be forced to enjoy the one form of wrestling that's being presented to them on a weekly basis. Very true, and it's it is a lot of these promoters have either their own websites and streaming services or YouTube pages to help get people things out, which is a lot easier than the tape trading days back in the past. Yeah, and it's so much more accessible now. Like you can go on your social media feed and and people are posting and sharing the the must-see clips of the week all the time. So you can stay up to date with what's going on without having to invest hours into a weekly television program anymore. So if something gets hot and it goes viral, it's likely going to end up your way and you can check it out and stay up to date with what's going on. So it's uh there's there's more wrestling than there you know has ever been before that's accessible and it's you know a detriment and a good thing, but overall if you have any level of wrestling fan in you, it's accessible and you can find what you want. And I think that's ultimately a good thing for the business. I think so as well. Uh, you recently did the Nightmare on Elite Street tour with Nikita Koloff. Uh, how was that? 
And how did that do? Uh, how was working with the Mad Russian, I guess I should say? <laughs> uh, Nikita was great. Uh, you know, I have very few horror stories of dealing with talent. We've been very lucky um, with the guys that we brought in. They've all been very professional and very beneficial to the company. But I must say Nikita has to be the most pleasant human being we've ever worked with. You know, when you're going on a tour for 21 days, mm-hmm. and I can say this about most of the guys on that tour, you know, you start to bump heads with them a little bit just because you're around the same people all the time. I think it's just human nature that that happens. But with Nikita, that was never an issue. He was just always such a positive upbeat person that brought a smile to your face every day with his you know good attitude and the smile on his face that it was just an absolute pleasure he uh, he definitely made that three weeks on the road go by a lot easier than it could have been if you were dealing with somebody that was uh, not in the best of moods or best of spirits the way he was so mm-hmm. it was an absolute pleasure and just a, f- a fountain of knowledge once again and uh, you know, kind of the direction we've been going as of late by bringing in some of these veterans and legends to come in and, and mold and, and teach our talent on these tours has mm-hmm. been just invaluable and Nikita has been a prime example of that just the the advice and insight he brought each and every night will stay with our crew long after he's gone and, and better our product well the wealth of experience that him and people like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and like Lita would have are is amazing and incredible um, you guys also have a future tour coming up called the Pick Your Poison Tour with Jake the Snake Roberts. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's our follow-up tour to the, the last tour here. It's 21 shows, 21 days across the, the country of Canada, and it's headlined by Jake the Snake Roberts. And it's his first first tour and live event appearance for us. He did appear for us at Comic-Con uh, signing autographs years ago, but this is the first time he's getting on the road with us, and he's going to be on the road uh, you know, doing the day-to-day grind, and I'm really excited about it. Um, I've toured with him twice before in the Maritimes for another organization. I've wrestled him multiple times, and uh, you know anybody who talks about Jake Roberts in interviews will say he's one of the smartest minds of the business, and that's mm-hmm. completely true, and, and that's why I'm really excited to have him, because as we continue to build this brand... I knew how valuable it was to me as a wrestler to be on the road with him every day for a couple weeks. So I'm very excited for my crew to have that opportunity now to tour with him Mm -hmm. day in and day out and get the opportunity to work with him. And the great thing about Jake is he's just one of those iconic names in the business that you don't have to be a wrestling fan to know who Jake the Snake Roberts is. There's there's a few names that transcend wrestling Mm -hmm. and and stick in pop culture. And, you know, you have your Hulk Hogan's and your Randy Savage's and Jake the Snake Roberts is right up there. Everybody knows Jake the Snake. So I'm super excited about the pop possibility from a a company standpoint about the business that we can do with him and the crowds that we can draw in and you know we're you know when I first announced him we were four months out from the tour and I already had news stations contacting me to arrange interviews which they normally don't do Mm -hmm. till four days before so to Mm -hmm. to have that kind of excitement and and the fans buying tickets months in advance when once again we're in a day and age where people wait till the last minute to buy things when people are putting their money down in droves months in advance it's a good feeling that Mm -hmm. we're on the right track with with Jake for this tour and I'm really excited about the the possibilities of it that's it it gives you a lot of uh, idea of what the potential of the future is, and it's it. Is it lets you know that you guys are doing or producing a good product, and that people will actually want to go and see it. Yeah, that and that's that's exactly the idea. With you know, we talk about the benefits of having a guy like Jake in the locker room to the crew, but the benefits to have him from a company standpoint is Jake the Snake is a name that's going to pop a lot of people and it's going to get them it's going to get them out to a wrestling show for the first time if they haven't been to one of our tour shows in one of these towns before and that's where my crew is going to get the opportunity to benefit because they're absolutely incredible at what they do and and that's why they've been able to build it to the level we have so by Jake bringing in an extra x amount of people each night 
they now have the opportunity to sell them on professional wrestling and sell them on the brand. So long after Jake is gone, those fans will hopefully still come back mm-hmm. and support CWE with or without him there. And I think we have the crew to do that, as proven by our track record so far. So it's going to be great for this tour, but it's also going to build business for us for the future, which I'm really excited about. Who are some of the talents in CWE that works with you constantly that you are very high on or you think has the potential to go far? I think in the next year or two, you're going to be seeing some big things out of Chase Owens in Japan. He's uh, he's really, really developed into an incredible worker. He always was. And I think New Japan is finally realizing that, and they're going to be doing some more with him. Uh, Shane Saber, who just made it to the finals of the Elite Eight tournament with Chase a couple weeks ago here in Winnipeg, is going to be a big star as well out of Toronto. He's got the fire. He's got the energy. He's got the, the personality to be successful in this business. Um, man, who else... He, he just finished up with us last year, but another guy making some waves is Jason the Gift Kincaid, um, just one of the most talented guys we've had the pleasure of having on the road here, and he finally got his big break in the U.S. and is really making some waves down there, and, and people are really paying attention. So I think he's somebody you're going to be seeing a lot out of. Um, one of the young guys, uh, cute Cody Lane, who came to us on our training program uh, you know, at the beginning of the year from Austin, Texas, has really developed into a strong wrestler and uh, in just, you know, eight, ten months' time has gone from being a young guy at the bottom of the card to being able to hang with the top guys in the main events when he's given the opportunity on the road. So I think he's going to be a big player in the business, and we're really excited to see how he develops in the future as well. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about your uh, schooling opportunities and why someone would want to come such a far distance to train with CWE? Well, we're the only company in North America right now that tours the way we do and runs as many events as we do. So if you're looking for on-the-job experience... CWE is the way to go in terms of, of getting out there and applying your trade. Um, you know, first and foremost, and this isn't to you know undersell my school, but I always try to encourage guys if they are willing to travel to go to a wrestling school. You know, go to go see your Lance Storm, go see your Dudley Boys, uh, go see the guys that have been to the dance and and can immediately get your foot in the door if you have the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. Because as much as talent is important in this business, knowing the right people is even more important. So yeah, if you can sure. get your foot in the door with the the right trainer who has connections directly to where you want to go, mm-hmm. I always highly advise that. If uh, you know that's not an option for you. Uh, AJ Sanchez uh, runs our wrestling school here in in Winnipeg, and he's one of the most naturally gifted wrestlers we've you know I've ever worked with. Um, probably probably my greatest opponent of all time in my 15 year career. Uh, you know he's traveled extensively throughout North America. He's worked in Mexico. Uh, he's a, he's a great all around entertainer. He understands the wrestling aspect of the business and the entertainment aspect of the business, as seen by by his wrestling. And uh, he's got a really good track record of developing some good students over the last year or two. And um, you know once you finish up that training program, you get the opportunity to work with us. And we're the only company running the amount of shows that we're running and bringing in the level of talent we are on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, prime example of our wrestling school, he was trained by our original trainer, Mentolo, um, Tyler Colton, who's now our champion. He started with us after, you know, he got a flyer at a WWE event for our first ever show that we were talking about with Brian Danielson. And he started watching 
CWE. He was sitting in the front row for many months, and then we announced our wrestling school, and he started training with us. And now he's probably the best heavyweight in Canada. And that's from him training with CWE and then coming on the road and working these tours and getting to wrestle with top talent from around the world on a regular basis. And you don't always get that opportunity when you're training in other schools because a lot of schools either are not affiliated with a wrestling organization or the company that's running it runs one show a month with their local crew. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we offer the opportunity to get in the ring and in the locker room with guys that can get you where you need to be very quickly. And yeah. that's that's been a proven formula that's been very successful for us. And I would say Tyler's a prime example of that. He's down in the States right now doing doing a camp down in New Jersey. But you know, 270 pounds, looks the part, wrestles the part, and is getting some big opportunities. So that's, you know, a shining example of, of what our school has to offer. That's fantastic. Well, hopefully Tyler Colton can continue to take those opportunities very far and take his talents quite far. And it's awesome that you guys can get younger talent the opportunities and the experience that they might not be able to get in other places very early. Yeah, and that's and that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's getting your reps in. And that's why we try to run as many shows as we do. Obviously, you know, your company, you want to generate revenue and, and running live events is the key part of doing that. But a big part of why we do strive to run as many events as we do is for my guys to get their reps in. You know, you can wrestle in a training center for hours and hours and hours and hours until, you know, you're blue in the face. It's only going to get you so far. There's no replacement for getting in front of a live audience and learning how to manipulate their emotions and being able to take that mm-hmm. audience on for a ride. You could have a textbook picture-perfect hammer lock and headlock takeover, but it means nothing if you can't translate it in front of a live-paying audience mm-hmm. that you know whose revenue you depend on to get paid that night and, and, and for them to come back and pay to see you again. So we try to run as many shows as we can to give guys that opportunity, and that's that's a big appeal of what we're doing up here. Yeah, and having someone like Jake the Snake Roberts to come and help people work on something like knowing how to work a crowd is huge because he was someone who was very good at it back in the day. One of the best. You know, he's, he's highly regarded as one of the guys with, you know, the best psychology in the business, and he's a good example of somebody you know, who did it by using his brain and not his body because, mm-hmm. you know, his psychology is praised for just being such a smart wrestler and getting the most out of the least. And and that's what guys learn very quickly when you come up here on these tours. And, you know, even, you know, 15 years for myself, I still have to learn that lesson the hard way sometimes, going a little too hard because you put your pride ahead of your body. And when you're wrestling 21 days straight, if you're going full tilt and, and you're not taking into consideration the wear and tear and the travel your body tells you very quickly what you can and can't do and it makes for a very long tour if you're not taking care of it properly so it's not a matter of reining it in and you know shorting the people on the performance they get it's a matter of you learning how to work smarter and get more out of less so your body can withstand the travel and withstand the multiple matches mm-hmm. with still giving those people as great of a match and that's where someone like Jake can be a great assistance to to a wrestling crew and a wrestler that wants to do this full time. Well, that's it. Is you don't always need to fill your match full of high spots. Sometimes you can build up to those points or have other moments as well. Like a lot of wrestlers these days try and go for high spots and concentrate less on the wrestling. A hundred percent, and that's 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 kind of the stigma independent wrestling has had for a long time. And and you'll still see it on on a lot of shows. Not necessarily our shows, but I'm sure there's some of it. Um, you know, I'll be on shows, and I'm, I've never been a guy that's gotten over by doing like a cool, crazy move or, or having the crazy athletic display. 
I've always prided myself on being able to get over with the story I'm telling in the ring. And and this isn't to toot my own horn, but I'll be on shows with guys that do incredibly impressive athletic stuff, things I could never imagine about doing, and I will get a multiplied reaction for doing something a lot less but building up to it and telling a proper story with it than the guy that's doing something athletically very impressive to very little to no reaction sometimes and that's because it's a matter of knowing what to do and when to do it opposed to what it is you're doing and and I think that's something that's lost and when you're an independent wrestler sometimes it gets lost for a couple reasons one you know you're just wrestling show to show so you're not learning to tell a story month to month or week to week as you you learn to you know sell a story and a character um but when you're only wrestling once a week you know maybe less than that sometimes sometimes guys feel the need that they've got to get all their stuff in in that one match where if you're wrestling you know 10 15 20 shows in a month you physically can't do it when you're young you can i used to i used to go full tilt um, in my first few years, and, and the veterans would tell me, you need to slow down. I'm like, ah, oh, you're just being lazy, you know, and just being young and cocky about it, just, you know, thought they had their head up their ass. And now that I'm older and I've been taking bumps for as long as they were when they were telling me that, it's like, I understand now, you can't be doing that. It's not, it's you know, it's not necessary, first and foremost, but B, your body, you know, has a breaking point where if you of don't, course. if you don't give it the proper care it needs and you're abusing it for the sake of abusing it, you're going to shorten your shelf life and mm-hmm. you know in the professional wrestling business your body is your product so if your if your products beat the shit and and it's got tons of dings in it you're not going to be selling a whole lot of it okay so that's one thing that i want to actually ask about is the body and keeping it in shape like what does a workout routine look like and what does your nutrition look like for trying to keep your body in shape for touring and per, like performing for myself, it's always been very, very dedicated and very strict. Um, you know, I was very small when I started wrestling. I was about 145 pounds when I started wrestling. I got up to 253 at my biggest uh, when I was really bulking up. Um, it's it's different for different guys. Like I've always prided myself on 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 having a guy or being a guy that physically is aesthetic in, in wrestling because I find on the independence that's not always the case. So I want to be one of those guys that look like a TV wrestler. Um, so my dieting's always been very strict. I, I find that on the road, it's easier than it's ever been before to eat healthy. Like health, mm-hmm. health and fitness is you know it's it's a long time fad now that that that's preached. So you can go to a gas station or go to a grocery store and you can get healthy food mm-hmm. fairly accessible. When I started wrestling, you couldn't do that. You're eating chips and chocolate bars on the road. That's yeah, it was that's a lot what it harder was. to find restaurants that were willing to provide food or even yeah. supermarkets that yeah. were able to provide the proper like lean. Meats yeah. and everything else. Yeah, that it's you need. super easy now. You can go to Sobeys or a superstore, and they've got a whole section of fresh food. It's it's easier than it's ever been before. Um, depends on what I'm training for. Uh, if you know, if I'm training to bulk up, I'm, I'm lifting a lot heavier. If I'm training to, to lean up, I'm lifting a lot lighter. Um, you know, and as time goes on, and 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 this is you know your, your body talking to you as well. Starting to sound like one of those old veterans. Um, like now that I've been taking bumps for as long as I have, my body can't lift. I don't want to say it can't lift, but it can't comfortably lift as heavy as it once did. My my joints and my tendons are not in the same shape as they were when I was twenty years old and you know a few years into wrestling. So I still can lift heavy when I need to. But I don't need to lift as heavy as I once did to get the same result. You learn to, to okay. work around certain things. You learn a little bit smarter as well, too, over time. That's right. 
and you know now that I've built up a good base, I can use that base to fluctuate up and down where I need to, depending on if I need to put on size or if I need to drop down a little bit. Um, when it comes to wrestling and, and doing as many shows and as much travel as I do, uh, one thing that's definitely changed over the years is I do a lot of stretching now. Uh, you know, after battling some back issues for a couple of years that were pretty pretty crippling I've learned that I have to take the time to stretch and I always felt I took time to stretch before but not realizing it was nowhere near the extent I needed to uh, when you're putting that much you know damage on your body and the travel which is way worse than the wrestling is getting beat up and then cramming in the car and driving for hours in a vehicle for so long yeah getting tight and yeah, and then if you just get out of that vehicle and hop in a ring and wrestle, like that's where you start getting hurt. Well, that's when you're going to pull something for that's sure. That's right. So, you know, with time and experience, I've learned that you have to take that time to stretch every day. Like, whether you're wrestling or not, find the time and just take a half hour and stretch. Your body will thank you for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to stretch before every match whenever possible for, you know, you're not changing in a broom closet or something luxurious like that independent wrestling sometimes offers you know but try to stretch after the matches you know before the you know before i work out now i need to i need to schedule myself a good 20 30 minutes to stretch before i touch weights like that's if i if i don't do that i'm paying the price for it later so there's there's certain things that you learn to adjust with over time but i think that's just a part of getting older as well it's not necessarily just wrestling i think that's what is you have to try and think about your career and extending it right that's exactly it All right, Danny, it sounds like CWE has turned into quite the brand since your inception back in 2009. I have a couple other questions to ask you, like what inspired you to be a wrestler, where you got your training from, and what some of your favorite matches in wrestling history are. But before we get to that, we have to get to our Desert Tiger podcast book of the week, which we do here every Thursday on the Desert Tiger podcast. If you wish to refer a book for our book of the week, you can do so by emailing us here at desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com. Today's book of the week is No is a Four-Letter Word, How I Failed Spelling but Succeeded in Life by author, podcaster, and wrestler Chris Jericho. No is a Four-Letter Word is Chris Jericho's fourth book and sees him take the switch from a classic autobiography to more of a self-help manual based on his past experiences and things he's learned through other people in 20 Principles. This book won't wow Chris's wrestling fans with stories of his wrestling like his previous three other books did, and it isn't meant to. It's a good look at how one man succeeded through lessons he learned during and after he had his initial success, which is good because it shows the reader there is always room to grow and something to learn. As with his previous works, I've truly enjoyed this read and many of the lessons it tries to teach its readers, like the Gene Simmons principle of always look like a rock star, the David Bowie principle of always rewrite yourself, and the Keith Richards principle of always find a way to make it work. If you're looking for an inspirational read, this is something you should definitely consider, and if you're into wrestling and also need motivation, it is definitely a must-read. Thank you for listening to our book review of the week, and without further ado, we get back to our interview with Danny Duggan of CWE. Um, what inspired you to be a wrestler? Wrestling's all I can ever remember. You can look on my shelves there, I've got thousands. Yeah, you've got a massive collection, I'm actually jealous as yeah. kid 
can be right now. <laughs> I agree with envy. Like, yeah, and, and this is just a small fraction. <laughs> These other boxes are full of stuff too. From as far as as long as far, my first memories as a human being on this planet are wrestling. My first mm-hmm. first the earliest memory I can remember is Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter, and I think that was like ninety one maybe. Um, and since then, it's it's just been an obsession. My parents said when wrestling came on TV when I was a toddler, I was right in front of that TV, and it never changed. It was always something I wanted to do. You know, as a kid, I was the I was the one. You know, at six, seven years old, getting all the neighborhood kids together and, and having wrestling matches in, in the park and stuff like that. It's always just been an obsession. And I was very lucky to be able to get involved with wrestling at a local level when I was twelve years old. As, as silly as that sounds, mm-hmm. you know, I, I saw an ad on television for a local wrestling school, and I called trying to be a wrestler at twelve years old, and they told me I couldn't do that, but I'd come down and help out <laughs> in other avenues. So I kind of got my foot in the door really early and, and got to help out with different you know avenues of the business and then as I got older I obviously got to to, to do more things and train and, and become a wrestler myself so it's it's always just been wrestling you know there was never any doubt in my mind of anything else I wanted to do there was never like hey I might be a firefighter or acting would be really cool or mm-hmm. you know it's just always been dead set wrestling dead set wrestling like I, I even when I was battling some back issues over the last little bit and you know I was like man I want like, if, if I'm gonna if I have to stop wrestling like what am I gonna do like I I, sh- mm-hmm. I couldn't come up with an answer for myself it was it was it was a pretty challenging time because I was like I don't I don't see myself doing anything else especially at this point in my life I'm sure as you get older and mm-hmm. and you know you have to you know legitimately sit down and ask yourself that question you'll find something but you know to be young and in your prime and 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 to think of doing anything else I couldn't imagine it like there's no replacement for going out in front of an audience and doing what we do and that's why you mm-hmm. you hear some wrestlers say that wrestling is the most addictive drug as you know of them all because it really is like, well it's like it's like pain itself some people can get addicted to it it's the rush of it all yeah it's- it's 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 really a cool feeling that I don't think you could ever put into words. Like especially when you love what we do and you have that ability to go in front of an audience and be able to manipulate their emotions and and bring them on that ride and to get the desired reaction that you're aiming to get on any given night, depending on what story it is you're trying to tell, or even just knowing the impact it has on people. Like to be doing it as long as I have now and to be able to visit all the places and and to have. You know, even just at this level, the amount of people that reach out to you and and you know say that you're you know that you're their favorite wrestler, or the, you know they, that match was something they really remembered, or you know their kids really loved it, and they've got your poster up on their wall. It's it's just it's a really cool feeling, and it's a cool thing, like especially when you grew up as that kid that you know mm-hmm. felt that way about wrestling and all that kind of stuff. So to be able to share that with other people is is, yeah. is so cool, and I think sometimes we we take that for granted and we don't really put it in that perspective. But that's the way I always kind of look at it. You know, when times get tough with wrestling and you hear wrestlers kind of bitching and moaning about different things, I'm like, we have the coolest job in the world. Well, it's like, it is. It's it's not very often you get to get paid to entertain people and yeah. actually make a living out of it. Yeah, it's it's really the coolest job in the world. Like to me, it is. And like I, I no matter how hard it gets, and sometimes it gets hard, and 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 especially. You know, as an independent wrestler trying to, you know, quote unquote, make it, you know, it can be discouraging at times, it can be frustrating, it can be stressful, but when you really put it in perspective, it's the coolest job in the world, like, we get, we get to travel the world, like, 99% of the population works hard 50 weeks of the year so they can vacation for two of them. You know, we get to vacation every week. I'm on the road every week somewhere getting to do something cool, and, and at this point in my life, I can go anywhere on this continent and... You know, I, I know somebody in that city. I've got a couch to stay on if I want it. I've got somebody to take me out and show me a good time. You know, I'm, I'm you know I, I can literally walk anywhere, 
in, in North America and, and be hooked up with people I know and, and go out and, and, and explore that city, you know, through the connections I've made through wrestling. And it's, it's a really cool thing. And then even, you know, when you get to go out there and, and do the shows, it's, it's, it's something you can't replace. Okay. Well, let's take it back 15 years ago then and take it back to when you were training. Where did you get trained and by who? Well, that's a little bit of a, a two-parted question. When I originally first started training, I was just training I was training Lucy Goosey with some local wrestlers before some shows for a company called River City Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the company I called when I was 12 years old. Okay. I was, you know, watching a WCW rerun on a Saturday afternoon and they had bought advertising for their their wrestling school. So I called the promoter and I told him that I wanted to be a wrestler and he told me, well, you're too young, but you can come down and sell programs and I ended up, you know, carrying the ring jackets to the back and ringing the bell and Mm -hmm. anything and everything they needed. And, you know, as I got a little bit older, I started training before the shows. Um, I started refereeing when I was 14, but before the shows, I would come down and it was, you know, at the time it was pretty common that wrestlers would come down early and they would just Mm -hmm. train before the shows and they'd work out. So I was kind of doing that. I was kind of just training with the guys before the shows. They were just showing me things here and there. Okay. And then uh, there was a, a you know a day pass or sorry a, a show came up that I was scheduled to referee on, and somebody didn't make it. So oh, okay. they they asked me if I wanted to wrestle, and I said hmm. of course I did. So uh, AJ Sanchez actually drove me to my place, and I grabbed my picked up my wrestling gear. So I already pre ordered it and I was ready to go when the opportunity came. Well, good thing you were prepared then. Yeah, and I had my first match that night, and I probably wrestled for about six months. You know, based off of the training that I had shown, and it was very little. And you know, at the time I didn't know it, but it was not proper. It was, it was like the guys that were training me were not trained themselves. But well, when you have a myriad of people coming in and out, it's hard to get consistent training, and it's you never know if they themselves have been trained properly. It's not even that. Like when you're a young kid like that, you don't necessarily know the difference between good and bad wrestling to a certain extent. To me, you know, as a kid, I'm I'm seeing these guys wrestle and they're wrestling on shows. So to me, they're a wrestler. I don't know mm-hmm. any different. Yeah. But then, as you start to n- learn a little bit, you go, I don't think I'm doing this right. And it wasn't until you know, you know, a few months in, where I'm going, there's something not right about this. Like I'm not. This isn't the wrestling I watch. Like I'm not yeah. doing. I'm, I knew I. I didn't know exactly what, but I I knew I wasn't being taught properly. You know, so I, I sought out I, the company I was working for, River City Wrestling. They stopped running all ages shows at the time, and I was under eighteen, so I couldn't go with them to wrestle in the bars. So I needed a new place to wrestle, and there was a company here called the Canadian Wrestling Federation, okay. and they were headed up by a guy named Tomahawk Gene Swan, who had been wrestling a long time, very mm-hmm. good wrestler, uh, second generation wrestler. And the promoter Ernie Todd said, "We'll take you on, but you're going to need to complete your training with our school." And I was like, absolutely, I'd love to. I just, I wanted to be in the ring at all times. Mm-hmm. So I started training with Gene, and he's the one that I credit for training me originally because he's the one that, you know, kind of dotted those I's and crossed those T's for me and tightened up all the, the, the work that was done improperly on me up until mm-hmm. that point. So he's the one that really hammered down the fundamentals and, and the basics of professional wrestling. Showed you what your mistakes were and how to fix yeah. some type thing. And yeah, pretty much a do-over on everything. And you know, at the time I was still wrestling while I was training, so I was getting an opportunity to apply it on a week-to-week basis because we were doing a lot of shows at the time. And then we were in the training center five days a week, and we'd be there till they kicked us out of the building. We'd be there till 11, 12 o'clock some nights. And uh, so Gene's the one that finished up my training that year or that summer, 
And then about a year or two later, uh, Hotshot Johnny Devine, who wrestled with TNA Wrestling for a good period of time, uh, had to return back to Canada for a surgery that he needed done. And while he was getting a surgery done, he opened up a wrestling school here okay. as well. So I'd been wrestling for about three years at that point, and then I went and trained with him while he was here. And I kind of credit him as my second trainer because he's the one that really polished me and got me ready to wrestle wrestle a major league style of wrestling because he had been you know wrestling on television for many years at that point and okay. was trained in the dungeon in Calgary so he was able to then take my foundation and then give it the polish it needed to, to do big things so I credit him as part of my training as well is Johnny Devine where you inherited the hotshot gimmick? That is correct. He, uh, in 2006, I moved to Ontario for a period of time because uh, he moved back out there to head up the wrestling school in Windsor, and we were wrestling for an organization in Oshawa, and he just changed characters on TNA television. He, okay. he, he dropped the hotshot moniker, and he was t- he was teaming with Michael Shane, and he was in a group with Raven, and uh, because he was dropping the hotshot moniker... We did a we did an angle at a show where he was passing it down to me as a oh, student cool. to, to carry it on. So I've been running with it ever since. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think I use I, now I've been using it eleven years. So I've been using it longer than he did. What was your first gimmick? Dynamite Danny Duggan. Dynamite Danny Duggan. Yep, eh? that was me. Yeah. So Danny Duggan's always sort of been the name. It was just sort of the title that yeah has changed. That's right. Okay, that's kind of cool. What are some of your most memorable matches? Most memorable matches. Wow. Hmm. Anytime I've wrestled in Japan, I would say has been memorable, just because that's always you know a goal as you know a, a wrestler is to go over there and wrestle in Japan. So mm-hmm. I'd say some of those are very memorable for me. Um, wrestling in a WWE ring and you know against Jack Swagger is probably up there for me. I also saw that you uh, took a very solid Roman Reigns spear as a security guard <laughs> recently. Yeah, I most definitely did. That was in February. Yeah, that was definitely a cool moment. That got a lot of a lot of press. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that the match with Jack Swagger is probably to me the most memorable and sentimental, just because you work your entire career to wrestle in WWE. Yeah, for sure. So to be able to stand in that ring and have have him come down the ramp and you know a full arena and, and be able to perform for that you know six or seven minutes, however long it was we wrestled, mm-hmm. was kind of a culmination to you know if you know I stop wrestling tomorrow, I can say. I did this, and that's you know what I set out to do when I, you know, got involved with this crazy passion and obsession that's professional wrestling. So I'd, I'd, I'd probably say that one just for the sentimental value of it all. And was that when he had the we we the people gimmick? Yep, that's that's when. Okay, so you said you had been to Japan. How many times have you been there? I've been in Japan three times. I just uh, just came back from there this past July. I was over there for a couple of weeks for for DDT. Oh, nice! Uh, who did you wrestle down there? I wrestled. Uh, I wrestled a couple. I wrestled one of their younger guys, one of their students. The first night I was there, and then I did two tag matches, including uh, one on their big show at Corican Hall. Oh, awesome! Yeah, cool. Um, what is your tour must-have item? My tour must-have item: my fanny pack. Your fanny pack for on stage. Yeah, on stage and just day to day on the road. When you start traveling that long, you start. 
accumulating a lot of items that you need to keep track of. I've read that a lot of wrestlers back in the 80s used fanny packs to keep track of everything. Oh yeah, it's a huge part of the wrestling culture for that very reason. When you're traveling, it's it's not, especially when you're doing these long car rides on tour, it's not the most convenient to be wearing a pair of jeans when you're in the car that long. So you're typically rocking a pair of shorts or a pair of Zubaz or sweatpants. And those aren't the most convenient when it comes to pockets, so you need to strap on the fanny pack and, and keep your belongings tight. Keep everything nice and tight, for sure. Yes, sir. What are some of your favorite matches in wrestling history? Favorite matches in wrestling history? Whew. Wow. Well, one I just watched recently was Bret Hart and Owen Hart from WrestleMania 10. So Ooh, that, good well, match. That, that one's definitely up there. Um... There's a match I really enjoy with Kurt Henning and uh, Nick Bockwinkles from the AWA. It's an hour time limit draw, which is absolutely incredible. Um, Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat, that's a go-to for just about anybody, I think. That's WrestleMania 3. Yeah. WrestleMania 3. Barry Windham and Ric Flair, 60-minute match. That's one of my favorites as well. Anything with Mr. Perfect. I love Kurt Henning. How was working with... uh Mr. Wonderful, I need to ask. It was it was an adventure. Um, it definitely was an adventure. Paul's Paul's a great man. He's and a very entertaining man, um, and very passionate about wrestling. So to have him on the road for a couple weeks was was definitely an honor and a, and a, a pleasure. And it was definitely never a dull moment with Paul. He uh, he likes to have a good time on the road, and and when he gets into that mode about talking wrestling and giving feedback on wrestling, especially being a guy who trained guys for so many years, mm-hmm. it was you know all the guys would just gravitate towards him, and it'd be you know an impromptu seminar in the locker room every night. Just an absolute class act. Well, that's it. Is he's a very good talker back in his day, and also a pretty good wrestler, and he's got a lot of wealth of knowledge. I'm sorry, I changed the question on you there. It's just like. <laughs> It had just popped into my mind. Yeah, it was really cool. Like there was, uh, you know, in this day and age when we're on tour, it's not too often I get to travel with the headliner because I have to do so many different things as the promoter that day that I don't want to have them tagging along and, you know, taking up their day. So I usually, you know, send them off with somebody else. But with Paul, I got to spend a lot of time with because we had a lot of media we had to do. And, you know, I remember even one specific overnight drive from Medicine Hat to Regina. You know, we just finished a show and we had to drive five hours overnight to, to get to this radio or this TV gig. And it was just five hours of him just going and going and going with stories and, and advice and feedback. And you just you can't you can't replace those experiences. And that's, you know, when you look back at wrestling from the 80s and the 90s and when it was considered its best it's because that's what the guys did. You know, they, they got in a car with a Paul Orndorff or a Jake Roberts each and every night, and mm-hmm. they just listened. And that that's what was so cool. Like, the wrestling fan of me loved it, just being able to ask questions. And, and uh, you know, you hear all these stories, and you've watched so many matches over the years. So, you know, part of you is asking questions as a fan, and then the other part of you is the wrestler wanting to learn. So you're then asking questions as you know, one of his peers trying to, you know, better yourself. So just a super cool, super cool guy. And I really hope the opportunity we get to, to work with him again because he was he was a blast. We actually 
in Brandon a couple nights after the Regina show, we convinced them to do a six-man tag, and it was his first huh. time wrestling a match in 17 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did he do? He did great. You know, we, he, we, we didn't do much. It was very limited because, you know, he doesn't have a lot of feeling left in his arm. Um, but I pitched it to him, and I pitched it to him half joking because I didn't think there was a hope in hell it was going to happen. And the first thing he said is, well, you're going to have to borrow me some knee pads then. <laughs> he, so he was excited about it. He'd been on the road for two weeks at that point. You could tell the the, the bug had bit him again. The, the and itch was, was there. He eh? was there, yeah. And it was awesome. Like, it was super cool. So I, I'm assuming that will likely be the last match he's, he will ever have. So it'll be really cool to say that we got to be a part of that. Yeah, no doubt for sure. That's awesome to be able to say that you had one of uh, Mr. Wonderful's last matches. Yeah. Uh, what are your other interests outside of wrestling? <laughs> I don't know if I have many interests outside of wrestling. Uh, my cats, as you can tell, I run a zoo here at my house. I love my animals. Oh, very nice cats for sure. <laughs> Shout out to the cats. Shout out to the cats, who I'm sure you can hear on the podcast here at some point or another. Um, for me, I'm, I'm a real simple guy. I like I like my wrestling. I like my like the gym, and I like spending time at home. Now that's that's my thing. When I was a young guy in the business, especially getting in the business so young, I was all about the party and going out and having a good time. And you know, I was usually the one wrangling everybody up to get in some trouble. And now that you know, I've I've done that you know for many years, or did do that for many years. I'm I'm pretty simple. You now know, you're I, the seasoned old vet telling all the old, young guys, you gotta slow down, or else you're about, you're gonna feel it later. Yeah, <laughs> you slow down, or you're gonna look like me getting out of the car in the morning. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so for me, it's yeah. I, I just I enjoy relaxation time now. That's like that's my that's my interest when I can just sit at home and relax and do nothing, which which isn't often. Mm-hmm. But there's no greater feeling to me is when I get off the road and I just lay in bed and I know I don't have to get up the next morning. That's that's to me, you know, it's definitely I, a good feeling for sure. Yeah, it most definitely is. All right, what well, can you tell me about Hot Shots Retro Rewind and wrestling collectibles? Well, as uh, we mentioned earlier, my house is bursting at the seams with wrestling stuff because I've got three decades worth of wrestling merchandise that I've collected as a fan myself. Even some doubles, I can see. Oh, yeah, just anything and everything. And uh, you just came to a point with you know running the, the wrestling shows. I always, always have an assortment of merchandise available and... It just started to grow and grow where I just started adding more things and people were asking for certain items and the next thing I know I'm pretty much running a full tilt flea market at wrestling shows <laughs> with my merchandise. So we just kind of expanded it a little bit and started putting some of the putting some of the the merchandise and inventory online and then that spiraled with people wanting more stuff and different stuff and just with the connections I have through the business and all the places I travel, I always have access to just different stuff and, and unique stuff that's not always available at your general wrestling show or wrestling store. So I started to kind of run with it a little bit. We test ran a, a weekend last weekend with the Warlord where we had him come in and do a show, and then we set up at the flea market with all the oh, wrestling wow. stuff, and we had him there signing autographs. So that's something we're going to be doing some more of in the future. We'll mm-hmm. be doing something in November like that again. We're going to have a legend come in and do an autograph signing and have the stuff set up to try to cross-brand everything. And Awesome. Yeah, it's just, just something, you know, a little side project to take on. Not like I needed anything more on top mm-hmm. of my busy schedule, but just something, you know, wrestling-related, just to kind of keep myself busy with wrestling. You know, to, to me, to be just involved doing wrestling things it's not work to me if i was doing this exact same thing but it was comic books i would hate it 
but because it's wrestling, it's not work to me. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I love sharing the passion. Like I love sharing my passion and enthusiasm for wrestling with people. So if that's you know sitting through and posting you know a list of DVDs and getting people you know some wrestling they've been looking for, been wanting to watch, that makes me happy. That makes me happier than the money I'm making selling it to them. That there's somebody out there enjoying that wrestling and it's alive and well, and 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 people are still enjoying the art and the entertainment that is what we do. That's good. You kind of still keeping the old tape trading collection series uh, feeling alive, which is good. Yeah, so, like uh, people still need that. There's some VHS down there. I, I gave a I gave a box to one of my trainees or one of CWE's trainees of uh, just dub tapes from the tape trading days, like just second and third generation tapes that had just been culminating in a box that you know I probably couldn't I could probably sell, but. You know, decided not to just because they are second and third gen. And I was like, you can you can take these and enjoy them because there's some really good stuff in there that nobody's probably ever going to see again. So it's uh, it's it's nice to to see that people are still enjoying it and watching wrestling because there's there's just so much out there and it's such good stuff. Awesome. I might have to ask you uh, what's for sale before I take off here today. <laughs> um, I think that's all we're gonna have for today. It's already reaching about fifty five minutes, so <laughs> I think that's enough. I'm gonna take for your time. Thanks for being on the show, Danny no, Duggan. Thanks for having me. Anytime. It was an absolute um, pleasure. Where can people find CWE online or yourself? CWE is nice and easy. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is CWE Canada. And then myself on Facebook, Hotshot Danny Duggan. And then on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at Hotshot Danny D. All right. And I have one more question for you. Let's hear it. How many times do people come to you asking for training, mistaking you for the great college wrestling school? <laughs> That never happens, um, but people do confuse CWE with the Great Callies uh, CWE. I would say that with the amount of people that request to join the CWE fan page from India, I could probably run an event <laughs> in India and draw draw a sizable audience based on the amount of people confused. By There's the a two. lot of people wanting to be the next gender of Mahal. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there definitely is. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Big shout out and thank you to Danny Duggan of Canadian Wrestling Elite for joining us for what was episode one of the Desert Tiger podcast. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today and we thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Google Play, and the Stitcher app. The Desert Tiger Podcast releases every Thursday and some special episodes releasing on Tuesday. Our next episode is going to be a bonus Tuesday episode where we talk to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania hardcore band Jesus Peace. This has been your host, Colton Geschwantner, and now I'm signing off. Have a great week and whoop whoop!